Shalom. This is a Matt Shomer man coming at you with another round of the parasha. Get you some. I just wanted to do a little bit more on parasha Korach. So I've titled this Drosh Korapractic, like a chiropractic. And uh, the reason I did that is because we're back at it again. So uh, without further ado, I just want to share a few more things and we'll do the bracha and get going. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher bakar banu mikol hamim, veinatan lanu et torato. Baruch atah Adonai, noten ha-torah. Amen. Amen. So, bless Hashem. You know, Shabbat Korak was just absolutely off the hook. Um, you know, getting to go to shul, Sar Shalom Synagogue, shout out. Woo woo. Um, yeah, shameless plug in right now. Uh I'm just so thankful because, you know, the people there and the Rebbe and the Bait Dean and the Get You Sums and all sorts of stuff. So there's just a lot that I gleaned and I just felt like, you know, I just have just a little bit more to say on Korok because I do. So, uh, Agent Echad is so wonderful. She had sent me this link to a article by Zavi Freeman, who is just, uh, he needs some help, obviously. Uh, but he has a whole post and I, I'm going to share quite a bit of it, but I would really encourage you to read the whole thing because it's funny, but it's also like very insightful and very serious at the same time. Kind of sounds like a, uh, a, a Rabbi Griffin drosh. I mean, it's like, it's so serious. It's so deep and it's so funny and you're hurting because you're laughing, and you're hurting because your toes are getting stepped on, and you're hurting because it's just like, I don't know what's happening to me right now. So, anyway, um, but this this post is like really, really great, and it's basically about Korok's rebellion, and uh, I'm gonna just kind of fly through here real quick on some things that I just wanted to share. So here we go. So... First of all, it's tying our whole faith. You know, as a Jew, our faith is not made up. You know, and I it really isn't. It's just it's just not. It's not made up. It is the real deal, and that may sound very arrogant and how in the world do you know? But I'm just saying for at least 3000 years there's been no changes to Judaism and it's been consistent and um I know you may say changes because of the Messiah and the persecutions and the introduction of all these different ideas and agendas and theologies but the core of Judaism is what I'm talking about like orthodox which by the way means Torah true Judaism. So straight up by the book, straight up by the oral Torah. Okay? So when you keep it that simple and get down to that level, the pure Torah that Mashiach Yeshua exhorted us in and exhorts us in, 
That's what I'm talking about. That's not made up and it hasn't changed. It was before the beginning of time. Just so much to say in Legend of the Jews, where it's talking about Noah and the garden and all sorts of stuff. There has this one little section about Hasatan talking to Adam and Hava about them lying. And he's saying, don't you know that in the time to come that the Jews, which are going to descend ultimately from you, but generations later, they're going to receive the Torah. And one of the pro- prohibitions of Torah is to not lie. So what are you doing? Okay, so we're all the way in Parsha Bereshit, namely around chapter 3, because the whole incident with the serpent and the woman. And it's like the Torah is going to be given. So what 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 is up with this deception and corruption? You know, that's not what you're supposed to be because that's not it. That's not following Torah. And it's just like, but we're, we weren't given the Torah. And it's just like, well, in that same source, in that same section, it talks about a book that Hashem gave to Adam and how it was like everything in there. So there were no excuses, basically, which uh, that book definitely was Torah, the book that Hashem gave to Adam. But anyway, that's little known information that's now fully known. So check out Legends of the Jews and um, let's see for uh, not wanting to throw um Ish Pela under a giant bus, even though he could take it because that's just who he is. Uh, I should have tabbed it. Let me uh, go over here to Legends and look this up here. Just to kind of give you a source. I know we don't really source out Legends of the Jews because it's just kind of one of those sources that's just like, really? And you like find all this information in there. So let's see. Midrash. Legends of the Jews. Alright. I want to say it's around volume 2. Or maybe it's volume 1. Alright. Sourcing it out. Alright. Legends of the Jews 1-4. And just read. Alright. Baruch Hashem. So, back to Zavi Freeman over here with this article. So, he's tying Oliver Imuna back. That's super important because that's the background to this information. Because you're thinking we're in Parsha Korak, but we're going to be talking about Abraham. So, it says, Abraham took a shot at the knowledge hierarchy of the cult back. Uh, okay, Sleeka. Abraham took a shot at the knowledge hierarchy of the cult. But... Harsinai was a mass revelation or revolution. Moshe demanded that every man, woman, and child attend the greatest revelation ever on earth and each receive the same Torah and the entire Torah. Even the details of the priestly rites, the most mystified and secretive realm of every cult, became not only public knowledge, but a duty for every school child to study. So in other words, receiving the Torah 
equaled receiving secret knowledge, every everything included. It's completely the word of Hashem given to his people for wisdom, for reproof, for training, for admonishment. Oh, that kind of sounds like a verse from First Timothy. Yeah, something about the word of God being like God breathed and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that kind of tangent. But I digress. So anyway, all of that was given forth, okay? Because, you know, there's like levels to Torah. There's the Peshat, there's the Remez, there's the Drash, and there's the Sod. So you got all these different levels of Torah, and it's just like it's one Torah, you know? So it's in layers. So then it says, the blind faith, quote-unquote, of the children of Yisrael and Moshe also deserves further investigation because one would say we follow the Torah of Moshe because Hashem gave the Torah to Moshe Moshe gave the Torah to the people and it's just kind of like yeah we're following Moshe but we're following Hashem and it's just like but we're doing what he says and it's just kind of like okay so you're just a whole big group of people following after one man who received this from Hashem even though it was a public revelation it's just kind of like that whole thing doesn't jive with some people as far as that framework. But we'll keep going. It says, for at least a millennium now, Christians have chastised us, being Jews. Christians have chastised us for our stubborn sinfulness, pointing always to the unruly behavior and constant kvetching. Kvetching is, uh, is Hebrew and... Um, the slang word is escaping me. Yiddish. All right, Brugersham. For complaining. So no kvetching, okay? Only if you're going to do something about it. That's the only reason you can complain, just to get some ideas going. All right, but anyway, really, just stay away from it. Kvetching of our ancestors in the wilderness. Maimonides points out that the children of Israel always held some doubts about Moshe and his fantastic feats. Until the event of Har Sinai. Okay, so it's like the mountain where Hashem completely spoke into creation and everything just stopped. Literally, everything stopped. It was so quiet, but it was like thundering and lightning. This is like, well, then it's not quiet. But actually, it was. Everything was silent. So that all you heard was Hashem. And all you saw was Hashem. And it's just kind of like, wow, that's, in that's incredible to think about it. So, Moshe was doubted up until this point, And it says, why did they change their minds then? Because that was an empirical event. They saw for themselves that God spoke with Moshe. But without that, there was always skepticism. Okay, that's fair, right? even though we should really have more faith than that but if you really want to take it down to the lowest level because it's just like how are you going to fall after one man who supposedly talks to god he ran away into the wilderness we hadn't seen this guy for 40 years and he shows up and he's like let's go and we're like who are you and he's just like i'm moshe and the god who is who was and who shall be sent me to you that's what aya is and it's just like okay so you got anything you're going to show us to prove, you know, what sign or 
you got a message or something like that because Yosef told us that he's supposed to say Pakod Pakati, you know, remember and I will remember, like I will surely remember you and bring you up out of this place. Like you know the secret password. And he's just like, Listen, Hashem sent me, he said to come get you, y'all need to go, let's do this. You know, and it's just kinda like, okay. So there's skepticism, even though they followed him, even though they heard from Hashem. And it's like, wow, you know, plagues and everything. Moshe is just the one who starts and stops them. And it's just like, yeah, but we don't trust this guy. It's just kind of like, okay. So it changed when we received the Torah at Har Sinai. Whole new thing. So now it says, and then steps in Korach, despite all the above with a full blown rebellion against the authority of Moshe. So Korak has been there. Korak is not some new guy off the block. Okay, he's like, he was there in Mitzrayim when they were suffering harsh slavery. He was there when Moshe showed up. He was there when Moshe went against Pharaoh. Which, by the way, Moshe going against Pharaoh is huge. Okay, that's the equivalent of us taking on all of our deepest and darkest thoughts and secrets and struggles. And like taking them on in a public setting and just being like, look, you will follow Hashem. You will listen to his voice or else. Okay. Now, Pharaoh is an external force and external entity, but he represents that level of what we have to deal with within ourselves to overcome, which is why we should every day experience freedom from Mitzrayim because we need to die to ourselves. We need to be freed from our own imprisonment, from our own thoughts that are contrary to Hashem, from our own heart that is deceitful and desperately wicked. We have to leave, okay? So we have to be like Moshe, which would be be like Mashiach, okay? So that's all there. But here's the deal. Korak is like, yeah, 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 I know all that happened, but this is not true. Moshe's not true. We're all leaders. We're all holy Moshe, you're making stuff up because listen at these arguments. I have an altachelet rope. Do I need zidit? Moshe's like, well, yes, you do need zidit. Zidit are supposed to be on the fringes of your garments. And they're supposed to have one strand of techelet, not all techelet. So cricket, cricket on the rebuttal switched to a different argument, which, by the way, Rabbi Griffin says, if someone is going to bait you into questioning you and they turn it into skeet shooting you are now casting pearls before swines because they're really not after truth they're really not after your answers okay this is what korak did he skeet shooted or skeet shot moshe he started off with this to call it and being like da 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 moshe said what he said and he's just like well what about if you have a house full of torah scrolls do you need a mezuzah moshe's like Yes, you're to put the word of Hashem on your doorposts, okay? And it's just like, then what about this? And then what about that? And then what about this? And it's like he kept changing. He never really acknowledged the validity and the source. That's the thing. He never really acknowledged the source. Let's just get down to that. Let's keep it simple. He never accepted the source that Moshe brought. So with that being the case, Korach is completely on a different tangent. He's not really about what Moshe is, what the truth is. You know, he's really got his own agenda. 
But the thing is, is he never stood up to Pharaoh. He never took out the golden calf. He never went up the mountain to intercede for the nation. He never was willing to blot himself out for the sake of the community. So when he's coming up with this rebellion, he's flawed from the very beginning, but none of that is thought about. And it's the emotion, it's the height of the moment. And again, that whole source that Zalon threw in about what Korok did all night when he went from tent to tent, uh, stirring up dissension and giving people cake, which was like all sorts of sweet stuff and how he would use such manipulative words. So everything was taken over by deception and there was no truth. There was no acknowledgement of sources. Okay, this is why Lapid does do, this is why Lapid does what it does. Okay? We do what we do. We source everything out. We don't make stuff up. We've we, most of us anyway, if not all of us, have lived lives of people making stuff up and us being like, "Oh, yeah, I guess that's cool." And we follow and then one day we're like, "This okay, I'm tired of it. I'm just tired of it." As the incredible Thomas says, "Tired of it." You know? So we got tired of it. We started like really accepting Hashem's word at its source. Bottom line, that's it. So we don't make stuff up and, you know, everything needs to be sourced out. So anyway, that's Korok's issue and that's all going on. So with that being said, back to Zavi Freeman over here going crazy he says despite all the above with a full-blown rebellion against the authority of moshe korok steps in okay so korok's ideology precipitates anarchism okay his rhetoric is reminiscent of Proudhon and kropotkin which is all people are holy so why do you raise yourselves over the community of god okay you just marginalize everything make everything so equal there's nobody greater than another nobody least than another it's all great so now if you do that then you completely destroy the torah because mashiach which is the living torah he is the torah he said if you really want to be great you have to make yourself the least also said if you teach people to uphold the words of Torah, you will be considered great in the kingdom. And if you teach people to be against the Torah, you will be considered the least in the kingdom. So there is this whole thing about a hierarchy. It's like a greatest and a least. Or if that's not good enough, which I don't know why it shouldn't be because that's Mashiach and he's kind of like the end all be all with bottom lines, but our top lines. Think about the Kohen, the Levite, and the Israelite. There's only three people in the whole nation of Israel. Either a Kohen, a Levite, or a Israelite. A Israelite is not allowed to go into the holy place. Okay? Because when you go into the holy place, that's only for the Kohen. Or that's only for a Levi when they go in and it's their rotation. Then, on top of that, only the Kohen Gadol can go into the Holy of Holies. You ain't going to catch a Levite in there. You ain't going to catch an angel in there. You're just going to catch Hashem and the Kohen. Or I should just say you're just going to catch Hashem in there. Because 
the Cohen is one with Hashem, and there's a whole backdrop on that. We're not going to get into that. But just know that, believe that, trust that. Here we go. So, you know, there's, there is a hierarchy, and it's not a demeaning hierarchy. It's not like you're this scrub, and this person's like the all that in a bag of chips. It's just like, no, this is Hashem's people, you know. There's the Cohen, the Levi, and the Israelite. There's the greatest of these and the least of these, okay? So, we have to understand that, you know, even even the grace that Hashem has measured out to us, we all have different measures of what our callings are, what our giftings are, what our talents are, okay? There's a whole balance to the system. So, anyway, Korak was against that. And any, anyway, it says, consider that this is an incident of ancient times when ruthless dictators were considered gods. Yet, it appears from the biblical account that most of the people were ready to support Korak, were it not for divine intervention. Korak, for Korak to have gotten anywhere at all with his arguments, there must have been fertile ground to begin with. Such insurgence does not occur in a culture of docile followers. Okay, that's an indictment. So this is really why I wanted to share this, Josh, because I think it's important as we're going into Tammuz, into Av, into Elul, going into Tishrei. I mean, Teshuva on Teshuva is like now. You know, it's been yesterday and the day before. I mean, we've been making teshuva, but our teshuva needs to deepen. Our teshuva needs to be more emphatic. It needs to be more intense, you know, because this whole thing about having fertile ground for overthrowing Hashem. Okay. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, that's what Korak wanted to do, overthrow Hashem and set up his own thing, which I don't know what that would have been. But I guess it would have been something like eating from the tree of knowledge and good and evil. But I digress. So we have to really get rid of the fertile ground for dissension and arguments. We cannot allow anything to usurp our devotion to Hashem. So now. Here we go. This beautiful story is really the the main part of this article that just like knocked me on my face. It was really cool. It says there's a story told of Rabbi Yonatan Ebshitz, one of many one of the many showdown with the priest, quote unquote, type stories. In this one, Rabbi wished to demonstrate to his friend, the priest, like a Catholic priest, that his faithful churchgoers were not thinking people, but just blindly following authority. Okay, so he's going at the Catholic and the Catholic priest and saying, "Your people just blindly follow authority." And the Catholic priest is probably like, "Well, what are what are y'all Jews doing? Like, really? You want to you want to go there?" And apparently, it's like, "Yeah, I want to go there. Let's park." And it's just like, okay. <laughs> so anyway, it says Rabbi Ebshitz challenged the priest to step outside the cathedral after service and stare at the spire, which the priest did. Of course, when the congregants saw this, they dared not ask what the priest was staring at. They simply stared also. 
Then it says pointing and nodding. Very soon a crowd gathered, and within no time the town was abuzz with the news of angels the priest had noticed above the cathedral. Many town people swore they had seen angels as well, and so the story became written in the annals of town history. The priest was not one to be easily confounded. He asserted to the rabbi, that his congregants and his shul were no different. And so Rab Abshitz invited the priest to attend services that Shabbat. He did not delay. He was like, well, Shabbat's coming up in like a couple of days. Why don't you come check us out? So then it says it was Shabbat Zakor. That is a special Shabbat. Okay, and it says when a special portion of when a special portion is read for the Maftir at the end of the Torah reading. As usual, Rabbi Abshids was called to do the final reading. He made the appropriate benedictions, like he said, the blessings and all that. And it says, but indeed, or but instead of reading the portion for Z- Shabbat Zakor, he proceeded to read an entirely different portion. Hmm. Then it says immediately the goodbye interrupted and corrected him. The rabbi stopped, but then proceeded with another erroneous portion. This time the whole congregation jumped in to correct him. Once again, he proceeded with uh, yet another portion. By now, the women were yelling from upstairs and even the children were joining in the protests. Finally, Rabbi Abshitz surrendered and began the reading, began the appropriate reading. So the story continues. See, he told the priest, I did no great sin. I just made a minor modification of the service. And these are people who have treated me with great respect and honor for many years coming to me for advice, decision and blessing but if they know i'm wrong they don't refrain from pouncing up on me like a lion then he proceeded to say get you some no i'm just kidding he didn't say that but that's incredible you got the rabbi of the shul changing up one little part of the service literally the moftir is like two or three verses so you got the whole service. You're just rocking along. The people are like, yep, know that part. Got that part. Okay, Moftir, uh, what is he doing? And it's just like, uh-uh, you know, respectfully. No one uh, really gets all up in his grill. The goodbye, who's the closest to the rabbi, he's standing up there at the bima. He's like, <clears throat> uh, just supposed to read this, you know. He's like, oh, okay. He starts reading again. It's just like, what? You know? And it just keeps escalating and the whole room is like, what are you doing? You know, and it's just like, with all due respect. (laughs) So anyway, I think I thought that was an incredible insight because looking outside into Judaism without knowing any of that, you would think, yeah, they're showing up. They're doing all these um, rote, uh, routine, not rote, but routine type things. And it's constant, it's consistent, it's steadfast. They're doing the same thing all the time, just kind of inserting different things into the same pattern, to the same formula. And it's just like, 
I don't know what these people are doing. Like, they need to keep it fresh. They need to have something new. They need to be exciting. You need to have kind of some um, adventure, you know? And it's like, no. This is how Hashem said we're going to do it. If you pay attention to creation, there's a pattern to creation that does not change. Look at when the sun goes down, it's dark. And then the sun comes up and it's morning. And then the sun is at the highest place in the day and it's noon. And then the sun starts to fall and go down and it's a sunset again. And so days are revolutioning, going on, revolving. Okay, and then you have your pattern. Shabbat comes on the seventh day. So you go through six days, then you have Shabbat. You go through six days and then you have Shabbat. And it's just like, wow, that's really what we're living in in creation. Well, you go to work or you do what you need to do during your day and then you go to sleep and then you wake up and you do all that again and then you go to sleep. You know, we have all these patterns around us. For some reason, we I guess we just forget and we just be like, yeah, we don't need to be doing something so uh, routine. Like we just need to change it up a little bit, make something different. It's just like, well, have fun going against creation like Korok. So but we see that we're not blindly doing everything. Everything has a proper manner in which it is done. Okay. So, the next thing he says, Zavie Freeman here after this wonderful story, says this is the system of Halakha. Halakha, a dance with the word of Hashem. I love that line because I literally, when I was a Christian and I was like, yeah, we don't need to forget about the Old Testament. And people were like, yeah, we do. And I'm like, what's wrong with you? And it was just kind of like, man, I'm going to go. I don't know what I'm going to do. But I went to the bookstore uh, just randomly one day. And I saw this book called Dancing with the Law. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is really cool. And it's about loving God and really following his word. Not being rote. Not being like, man, this is my obligation. And I'm going to do it because they're, I mean, like I'm stuck or I'm chain to it or whatever it's like no there are no chains with the torah and then you find out from jewish literature the only thing that comes with the torah is a is a scroll and a sword because if you don't uphold it you're under the sword and it's just kind of like okay that's it you know also you do uphold it because in order for you to come to torah you're supposed to come to torah through Mashiach Yeshua being filled with the Ruach HaKodesh with full emunah in Hashem. Your desire should be for Hashem and for Hashem alone to walk in His way, to walk in His truth, to be filled with His Spirit, to think how He thinks. That's why Rabbi Shaul says we've been given the mind of Mashiach because the mind of Mashiach thinks like Hashem. That's why it says Hashem said, let us make man in our image. Who is the let us part? Hashem is talking with himself, namely his mind. Who counsels Hashem? Who has known the mind of Hashem? Romans 11, the last few verses, right? So the Torah, the spirit, Messiah, all of the prophets, okay? That's all lining us up for Hashem. 
There are no chains to that. You are freely able to come in and you're also freely able to leave, which is the dangerous part is that no one can pluck us from the master's hand, but we can walk out. And that is just, I mean, that's like a beware we stand lest we fall kind of thing. And so this dance, it says we accept its authority as unilateral divine law, but we enter into dialogue with it nonetheless, analyzing, examining, and reaching conclusions according to the logic of our own earthly minds. And not just the dialogue of a student with his teacher. Often it seems more like the dialogue of husband and wife. Get you some of that. I've always heard, you know, we're the bride of Mashiach. And it's just like, okay. It wasn't until Judaism that I completely understood that now. And it's just kind of like, whoa, okay. So then it says, oh, by the way, you need to know the bride of Mashiach is not the church. It's actually the B'nai Yisrael. Okay. Just pointing that out because that's a big deal. And it's not the Yisrael that's the new Yisrael, but the Yisrael that has always been. Because that whole um, dis dispensation, uh, dispensation or whatever, I don't know what that is all about. But uh, there's not a new Israel, just like there's not a New Testament. So everything is renewed. So, yeah, if you want to really be walking with Messiah and really be his bride then uh, you should probably join yourself to Hashem and walk in the ways of Torah because a Jew doesn't marry a Goy. That's called assimilation or decimation or destruction or wiping out Jewish heritage. So let's not do that. Okay, anyway, I was once told by an elderly Hasid that all a wife does is brings out the true desires of her husband. Just that sometimes we don't want our innards rubbed in our face. That's a get you some little section right there. Similarly, our oral tradition acts as a wife for the written Torah. In the five books of Moses, God's will is very obscure. Sometimes it appears quite harsh, but we Jews... We have an oral tradition which uncovers the real will that's buried inside. See, that's the the whole thing and the awesome thing about Hashem is he is revealed, but he is concealed. It's like you can see people all day, but you really don't know who they are until you're like in a relationship with them. You know, and it's like, obviously, uh, if you're like a like in a family unit, like mother, father, son, daughter, that whole kind of thing. That's a completely different relationship than, you know, a person you meet on the street and y'all become friends and y'all are like friends, you know? And it's just like, wow, you know, we've been friends for like 15 years and I know a lot about you, but there's still stuff I don't know about you because there is only a level you can reach as a friend. But between a man and a woman, but between a man and a woman, but between a man and a woman... They can enter into Kiddushin, which is marriage, quite commonly called. And they enter underneath the hoopah and they get to have the most incredible intimacy because that's the highest level of relationship that Hashem has given us. And so 
it's through these relationships, no matter what level they are, that we begin to see the concealed within that which is revealed. So this is the whole thing about Judaism. It's not a religion. It's not just this uh, this little obligation that we have. We really have life. We really live this way. There is no two-facedness about this. You know, the same way we are at shul is the same way we are at home. It's the same way we are out in the marketplace. Same way we are at work. I mean, we don't have to put on a holy face. The only thing that we change is our clothes. I mean, that's it. And even at that, we still wear, not like unlaundered, but we still wear the same clothes, like Zanute clothes. And guys, we always wear Zizi. Wash your Zizi. But we still wear Zizi. We still wear Kipo. Wash your Kipo. We still wear that. Tackles for the women, you know, all that kind of stuff. But we are the same people. So the Torah, same Torah, but it has concealed things about it. And you only find those things through the oral Torah. In other words, when Hashem says you shall slaughter the animal like I showed you on the mountain, you're not going to find that written in the written Torah anywhere. That's not in the five books of Moses, how to slaughter an animal. You can't Google that, how to slaughter an animal and do it appropriately. Well, you probably can Google it, but between Rabbi Google and Google jockeys, you know, you're putting yourself on shaky ground. So it's best to consult the oral Torah because that's the wife of the written Torah. So it says over here that look at our language and it becomes more clear. Abraham passed the test of the Akedah because he obeyed my voice. Literally, all the blessings and everything that Hashem just releases or unleashes, I should say, upon Abraham is because Abraham obeyed his voice. It's literally what it says in Bereshit 22. Because you obey my voice, you got all this stuff. Okay? So, Zavi over here, getting crazy, says, but the word for obedience here, as it usually is, is... Shamata, as in Shama, which means to listen. The same word in Shema Yisrael, except there it has the meaning of contemplating, meditating upon. The same word that means obedience means contemplation. And we're not talking about two forms of one root verb. We're talking about one and the same word. To everyone else, obedience lies at one extreme. Contemplation lies at another. They are mutually exclusive. But to us, to the Yehudim, to the Jews, it's good for the Jews. To us, they are not only capable of coexisting, they are the very same word. Go ahead, ask even the simplest Jew, why are you doing all these things? Is it in order to go to heaven, to escape divine retribution? No. Is it to go to heaven? Is it to escape divine retribution? No. Is it to go to heaven? Is it to escape divine retribution? No. 
So here's the Amet insert. So are you working for your salvation? No. Does that mean you don't need to believe in Messiah? No. Does that mean that if you believe in Messiah, you don't have to do any of this other stuff? No. So what is what is written here? Because I keep adding in extra stuff now. I'm going to stop that. So that's the end of my add-in. Back to your regu- regularly scheduled programming. It says, No, it is because I am a Jew. And this is what Jewish people do. They do what our God told us. Why? Because we are Jews and he is our God. I, as a being on my own, do not exist. Abraham could challenge God because he and God were not two entities. There is only the Jew, the one who is tied to the God to whom his fathers were tied. Abraham could challenge God because he and God were not two entities. They were one entity arguing in its thoughts with itself. That's where we exist in a world of thought. That's why we can obey by listening and listen by obeying. Because we are caught up inside there, in that place where all the world is but a thought. And there is nothing else but the one who is thinking it. Okay, so that's kind of the end. That's a major chunk of what Zavid Freeman shared. But I just wanted to share pretty much like all that because all of that is just major stuff to really think about and contemplate. You know, how do you become one with Hashem? You think the same way he thinks so that any kind of uh, dialogue that you want to have if you want to have a rabbi been so-and-so been so-and-so said in the name of so-and-so he said this but then rabbi so-and-so been so-and-so in the name of so-and-so in the name of so-and-so said this and so you're like but you're talking about one mitzvah and you got two conflicting opinions like what is this and it's like, no, if you put the com- opinions together, you get a whole new perspective. And what we have to understand as Yehudim, understand as Jewish thinking, all of everything that we do is about being echad. It's about unifying. And most likely, or not really most likely, you will see that when you think on that unified level, that it's just incredible what happens you know it's just kind of like you you start to understand that there is a tapestry being woven here and it it also points out the fact that no jew can uphold torah by himself because you need a cohen you need a levite you need an israelite and if you're one jew and you're one of those people you're going to be missing two other things you know and it's just kind of like the whole body of Israel, which, you know, I know I brought that down a little bit and unleashed a Kraken about all of Israel being a body, but man, underscore, highlight that, make that bold. Israel is called a body. So if you want to be 
in Messiah, you have to be in his body, which is Yisrael. Why? Because Yisrael is called the son of God. Yisrael, my firstborn. You know, remember that little thing that Hashem said, let my let my firstborn son go? I called him up out of Egypt, like all those different passages. Yeah, that's Mashiach. That's his body. You know, so there's that. And then it said, oh, and the life force of the body is the Zodic. We know there is no other Zodic than Mashiach Yeshua, the only true Zodic. Okay, so um, and just on a little anti-Semitic little uh, swerve here or not anti-Semitic, anti-missionary. Those are very, very different phrases. <laughs> You're like, what's going on? I thought this was a Jewish broadcast. It is. But uh, this anti-missionary drop here talks about Mashiach. Um, I don't even know why, but I'm not going to read the article, but it's saying, you know, that Messiah was a sinner. He broke Shabbat, uh, him being born of a virgin. That's a sham. And just all these little crazy things and uh, his lineage, he can't be adopted and take on the lineage of the father and all this kind of stuff. And it's just like, oh, my word, I'm going to do something. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm just going to take some soup and just dump it on the floor because I'm so angry right now. But it's just like go all the way back. If Mashiach is not a true Zodiac, if he truly was not the son of Hashem, first of all, how is he going to die the way that he did to be only followed up by resurrecting, to be only followed up by ascending? Okay, so like he's still alive. Like, what is that? And then if he had such halakhic issues and train wrecks in his life how come when he was put on trial there could be no accusations brought against him the only way that Mashiach got crucified is through the angry mob mentality of the phrase crucify him crucify him that's it the blasphemy charges couldn't stand because they're like eh, no not really I mean he claims to be God, but really, nobody really faulted him for that. So it's just kind of like, wait, wait, what? Nobody really faulted him for that, even though people were angry with him for blaspheming. But on his trial, no one took him down for that. They were like, I find no offense with this man. And it's just kind of like, wow. So everything that Messiah did was ultimately validated in a public court that featured government officials as well as all the leaders of the synagogues and the houses of study like nobody was able to say anything nobody was able to say he broke shabbat nobody was able to say he sat down in the temple courtyard when nobody's supposed to sit down in the courtyard you know he healed people on shabbat he healed people like all the time and he was walking through a field and his disciples were eating the heads of grain so they were harvesting on shabbat None of that stood. So, anti-missionaries, what's, what's the deals, yo? Like, what it is? Like, why? You know what? Don't answer that. Just just fix it, okay? Just fix it. We all need the tacoon. And please work on that, please. Okay, but anyway. The other thing I wanted to share was from Ain Yaakov. 
Sanhedrin 11. It says that Rabbi Hista said, he who quarrels with his master is considered as if he quarreled with the Shekinah. As it is said, yeah, that just happened. He who quarrels with his master is considered as if he would quarrel with the Shekinah. So you against your leadership? Have fun fighting the Shekinah. That's not a good idea. You know, when the cloud covers the tent of meeting, it's on like Donkey Kong. Okay? And not the one that Mashiach rode in on. All right. So, Bami Bar 26.9 says, At that time they quarreled against Hashem. That's the verse that's used to source out that statement from Rabbi Kista. Okay, again, this is Ain Yaakov, Sanhedrin 11. All right, it says, At the time they quarreled against, or at that time they quarreled against Shem. That's Bami Bar 26.9. Okay. Rabbi Chama ben Hanina said, He who murmurs against his master is, is considered as if he would murmur against the Shekinah. Same place, or Bami Bar, which same, same Sefer. Uh, Bami Bar 20, verse 13. Here we go again. These are the waters of Merivah, where the children of Israel quarreled with Hashem. Because see, every time they were upset with Moshe, and they were like, we're thirsty, you brought us out here to die. It never says that ultimately they quarreled with Moshe. Ultimately, it says they quarreled with Hashem. But they were angry at Moshe. But they were quarreling against Hashem because this was written in the text here. So, Rabbi Kanina ben Papa said, He who murmurs against his master is considered as, as if he would do so against the Shekinah. Shemot 16.8 Not against us are your murmurings, but against Hashem. Rabbi Abahu said, Even one who meditates evil against his master is considered as if he meditates against the Shekinah. As it is said in Bami Bar 21, 5. And the people spoke against God and against Moshe. You notice how the leader of the congregation, the shepherd of Israel, the king of Israel, the leader of Israel, the mediator, the redeemer, like always attached to Hashem. Just the same way that Memtet is attached to Hashem. It's like... Memtet and Hashem are so close, you can't even tell when it's Hashem or the angel leading or going behind the people. Or when it's like you hear the voice of Hashem and it's the angel speaking. And it's just like, but Memtet's not an angel. And it's just like, yeah, he's not. He's unified with Hashem. And yeah, I mean, it's just kind of like, whoa, what is going on? Can't really explain that. But same thing here. The... Everything that's against Moshe is against the Shekinah. That's what we need to get down to, which is a huge indictment on religions of today that are anti-Torah, that are anti-law of Moses, anti-law of God. You are against Hashem. You're not against Moses. You're not against the Jews. Okay, that's a lot to say there because anti-Semitism, whatever fits in that little bubble, well, it's actually a big bubble. Whatever fits in that bubble is against Hashem. So, might want to work on that. Um, riches reserved for their owner to his own hurt. Resh Lakish said this refers to the riches of Korak. Devarim 
and all on their feet. Okay, so getting into Bami Bar sixteen thirty two, talking about the earth opened up and swallowed them up, and in their households, all Korok's people and all their possessions. So, it says that this uh, Rabbi Eliezer said this refers to their money, which makes one stand on his feet. Rabbi Levi added, "Notice how they're just kind of working together. This is a Rabbi uh, Lamb Pow going on." says rabbi levy added the keys of korok's treasure were of such weight that 300 white mules couldn't carry them because you know the white mules are the super strong kind you know the black or brown mules is kind of like your standard so they can't really carry that much so does that mean mashiach yeshua rode in on a white mule i don't know Anyway, uh, I was kind of tongue-in-cheek on a lot of that. But the white mule thing, though, what if he really did? Because you got the white lamb on the white mule. I mean, it's like Zizit right there. And then the spirit within Mashiach would be Tehelet. Because that's what the Tehelet represents. So that would be kind of cool. Uh, but anyway, it says that all its keys and locks, usually of metal, were of leather to make it easy to carry talking about Korach here says Rabbi Chama ben Hanina said three treasuries were hidden by Yosef in Mitzrayim one was found by Korach and the second by Severus and the third is still hidden for the righteous in the future Rabbi Yochanan said Korach was neither of those who were swallowed nor of those who were burned, neither of those who were swallowed, as was written by Mibar 1632, and all the men that appertained unto Korak, but not Korak himself, nor from those who were burned, as it is written by Mibar 2610, the fire devoured 250 men, but not Korak. That's a get you some drop right there. It's just like, but I thought he was swallowed up. I thought he was burned up in fire. Well, they dropped their sources down. It is written. So let's be unified with that and let's have some dialogue. Here's what the next sentence says. In a Bereta, however, it was stated Korak was among both the burnt and the swallowed. What did we just talk about? Unifying these opposites? There it is. I mean, you, we see an example right here. Among the swallowed, it is written, and swallowed them up together with Korak. And burned, as it is written, Bami Bar sixteen thirty-five, and there came out a fire and consumed the two hundred and fifty, and Korak was among them. So, uh, the last thing I want to share is Captain Yisrael, and that'll be the end of the drush. So the question for us, as we're coming to the end here is what kind of community are we going to be? Are we going to be a Korok community? Or are we going to be a community of, of people who are loving and kind? And this is what I want to... <clears throat> I want to foster a community of warm, loving, kind people who are compassionate, who, who sincerely want others to have the pocket of diamonds that they have, 
who want others to experience the peace and, and the shalom. I don't want to be like the uh, ultra-Orthodox community that's been, that's been talked about recently on, the, on a, a special Fox News report that is completely separate and completely insular. And basically, you're not welcome there. I want to be a place where everybody is welcome to come to Sar Shalom. Everybody's welcome to come. You can come, you can learn, you can grow, you can experience. You know, there's no uh, issues about, well, whether or not you, you meet some qualification before you walk the door. Because of all the things that I've talked about on how difficult it is for people who to even come here. Baruch Hashem. So you've heard it from the captain, a.k.a. Rabbi Griffin of Sar Shalom, that that's just how we roll. We're a body of believers, and we follow in the footsteps of Mashiach Yeshua, and all men, women, and children are welcome. So uh, I pray this was a blessing for you all, and I pray that this will um, be uplifting and hold you up like a back because this is choropractic so you know we had to go back and uh kind of rectify some things that uh you know i just wanted to share extra so i uh, pray that you are blessed over your week and may you have a shavua tov and with that being said what do we know what do we know Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, Asher natan lanu Torah temet, Vechaye olam natabet olcheinu, Baruch atah Adonai, Noten ha Torah, Amen. Shalom.